Welcome to ChemEngCast, the podcast from the Department of Chemical Engineering at Imperial College London. We interview researchers and academics in the department to find out what they're working on and ask them to explain their research in easy to understand terms. I'm Sarah and I'm the Communications Manager for the department. And I'm Ben and I'm a PhD student in the department. And today we're talking to Postas Flavaris, who's a PhD student in the group of Professor Clea Kuntaravdi, and he is a computational biologist working on modelling glycome data. Thank you for having me, Ben. It's actually quite exciting that uh, you wanted me to participate in the podcast and also NAFTA as well. Uh, well, it's nice because we haven't really had uh, computational biology type people on here yet. And seeing as that's what I do, it's the first foray into something that I might actually understand as I'm talking to someone. Definitely. Plus, I think we had some discussions in the past uh, too about like a few topics like with regards to computational aspects. So probably some of those things will be familiar to you too. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice actually to have someone on the podcast who I work sort of reasonably closely with. I grew up uh, in Thessaloniki, Greece. Uh, Thessaloniki is the second largest city in Greece. It's in the northern part of Greece. Uh, and I studied, uh, so my undergrad was in uh, the Aristotle University in Thessaloniki. So it's one of the, well, the biggest university in Thessaloniki. I studied chemical engineering. The program I, I participated in was, uh, it's an integrated master's program. So uh, we obtain a master's degree after uh, it's five years and on the last year we are asked to do a, to, to do a project to get a master thesis um, and my master thesis was actually uh, again computational not in biology though but in, in biofuels which in a way there are some similarities there uh, and then I had the chance to actually uh, go and uh, apply to Imperial and start my PhD there. So I had to first choose what to study, uh, that would be chemical engineering. And I think other people in the podcast too, they've mentioned that they enjoy chemical engineering because it encompasses different disciplines, mathematics, physics, chemistry and biology too. And I guess it was a nice choice for me because I couldn't really uh, select what would be the like the perfect thing for me to study because I really liked all these sciences. And I really like that chemical engineering actually allows you to be interdisciplinary in that sense. Um, and uh, I guess I have a kind of like a genetic predisposition in becoming like in, in actually studying chemical engineering or any anything in sciences because my my mom and dad are physicists uh, and they didn't really implicitly ask me to study something in sciences but I guess yeah genetically I was I was supposed to at some point um, and one thing about uh, my dad is he had multiple sclerosis and type 1 diabetes so two autoimmune disorders and I think that from an early age I could kind of see having a disease what this actually does to your everyday life and whilst I didn't want to become a doctor uh, on or actually like study medicine properly I was interested in seeing well how can we understand these types of diseases? What can we do to kind of maybe help like uh, providing like um, 
treatments that were actually um, uh, could be cost effective for uh, for everyone. Um, and I think, yeah, this was one of the impetuses that actually allowed me to, to like actually allowed me to get into chemical engineering because it allowed this uh, uh, diversity and you could still have this uh, option open to you to look into biology and more medical applications. You touched a bit briefly there on sort of a medical aspect as well. So you've done your chemical engineering education and you've obviously had these sort of quite personal things happen to you that have given you this sort of slightly stronger desire maybe to push things towards medicine. So could you maybe in a few sentences sort of tell me about what your research is in quite simple terms? Yes, uh, so I think the the key in kind of like describing the research would be uh, this idea, this notion of glycomics. So this glycome data, this glycomic data. So um, I think the best way to describe them is to say that it's it's a subfield of molecular biology that studies the structure and function of carbohydrates. And glycans is also a synonym for carbo carbohydrates in this case. Whenever somebody hears carbohydrates, and I think the majority does, probably it was me also before my PhD, I thought this had to do with nutrition and diet. So I thought of carbohydrates only as energy sources. Um, but also in nature, we can see that uh, carbohydrates have also a structural component and a structural role to, to our surroundings because, for example, uh, wood is made out of cellulose and cellulose is a, is a polymer, so it's a big combination of sugars. I had this kind of idea uh, about carbohydrates. And I think the field of carbohydrates and carbohydrate research for a lot of years had kind of the same idea. So they couldn't, so researchers couldn't really pinpoint uh, if carbohydrates have a particular biological function. Uh, and actually, 40 years ago, approximately, uh, the term glycobiology was termed. Uh, and this was kind of the beginning of uh, studying glycans in terms of, well, what's the role in human health and also in uh, drug efficacy. These are the two kind of components which my research um, like re revolves around. Um, so glycans are uh, a, a way I like to kind of uh, try to describe them. Uh, think of them as stickers uh, that are actually uh, that you stick upon uh, other molecules, particularly proteins. So proteins have a particular sticker on them, like imagine like a colorful sticker. And the thing is that in our immune system, both proteins have stickers. The majority actually of our proteins circulating uh, blood plasma and everywhere else in the body is glycosylated. So it has glycans. So it has these stickers on top of it and our cells also on their surface, they have glycans, so our cells have also stickers on them. And glycans are really responsible for cell-to-cell -cell communication. So whenever two cells come uh, in contact, uh, the first thing they encounter is this is the different stickers they have on top 
and based on the color and the complexity of the sticker, they can actually identify if this is a cell from our body or maybe it's a maybe it's a cancer cell still from our body, but now it has another type of function, or even could be a pathogen uh, like a virus or even uh, a bacterium. And uh, in this case, cell-to-cell uh, -cell communication is done by uh, is actually uh, conferred by glycans, but also for proteins. Uh, for example, one of the most common and kind of well-known uh, examples are some drugs called um, monoclonal antibodies. These are some drugs synthesized, uh, they are biomanufactured through cells. And what happens is that these monoclonal antibodies uh, can specifically attack a particular um, uh, a particular target and in order for them to actually be able to remain in the body without being destroyed by our immune system or in order for them to actually be able to function they have to have on top of them particular stickers as in glycans so glycans are used uh, are omnipresent in biology so and they have these types of functions uh, and they're not just uh, structural components and also energy sources. Uh, so in my PhD, what we want to do is we want to uh, use mathematical modeling to try to predict what kind of sticker is going to be available in particular proteins. We want to do this to predict how well uh, a monoclonal antibody, for example, would be efficacious and also What's interesting is that when people have a particular disease, uh, when you compare this person to a person of the same demographic in terms of like age, gender, etc., you can see that the same protein in their blood has different stickers on them. So one could use also glycans uh, for biomarker discovery and this is uh, the other part of the PhD that I'm trying to develop at the moment. So to use mathematical tools to support uh, biomarker discovery and using glycans to uh, classify patients as having a particular disease or not. That's super interesting how you're using these sort of sugars to both help identify disease, but also maybe treat disease. It's like a double-headed pronged PhD. Uh, I think when you talk about health and disease, it's pretty obvious to the general public why obviously this sort of research is so important, but why do you think sort of your mathematical models are really important and could genuinely help benefit society if things all work out? First of all, actually, it was uh, it's quite nice that in previous uh, episodes of these podcasts, you had uh, people and researchers that work uh, with mathematical models in their development and their deployment too. Um, and in a way, I would echo what they would say in terms of mathematical modeling as, as a tool that you can use to, to limit the possible decisions that you have to make whilst making them in a uh, cost-effective way without the need of extra experimentation that can be time-consuming, laborious, and again, expensive. And also uh, it can help you 
mitigate this idea of trial and error. So you can make informed decisions based on your models. And what's interesting at the moment, uh, the idea about modeling glycosylation, which is the process that synthesizes these glycans, it's not a new idea whenever you want to model um, glycosylation when it comes to monoclonal antibody uh, production, because this has been taking place for approximately 25, 26 years now, uh, because there was this industrial interest in actually producing monoclonal antibodies with bespoke uh, quality, this product quality, because as we said, the stickers on the protein can actually uh, influence how efficacious and safe the drug would be. Uh, and there has been there have been these developments uh, for these models. And now uh, in my PhD, uh, what I want to do is to see what what type of uh, knowledge we can uh, gather from the models that are existing and try to tailor them now to different types of applications, particularly health-related applications. For example, uh, when somebody tries to identify uh, a particular glycan uh, in a sample, to then try to go a step back and try to uh, work out how was this glycan synthesized, because their synthesis actually is a multi-step process. So glycosylation is a multi-step process. Some small molecules called enzymes uh, actually are responsible for synthesizing the glycans. And it's difficult to predict exactly how they would, uh, how they would uh, act on different substrates. And thus, uh, we would like to also see, uh, try to provide some mechanistic insight, as we say, so to see uh, how the mechanism of how these enzymes act, how this actually influences the glycans that are produced. And I think modeling in this sense can, can be very helpful because uh, a lot of, uh, because this type of experimentation also would be uh, quite, uh, quite difficult, also costly. So we would like to, to try to um, test a lot of hypotheses before we really want to test like the most promising one at the end in the lab. Um, and especially with the idea of uh, monitoring how glycans and their concentration changes among individuals to predict disease, for example, um, and to do this classification. Uh, now it's easier than ever, at least that's my estimation, because in the last 10 years, there's been coordinated efforts globally to create uh, hubs, so websites, ecosystems, where there will be databases that you could find data not necessarily always from human cohorts, but also from other cell types, tissues, so glycans that are derived at different level of detail. And thus, you can now use data that is available to try to build machine learning models and to try to uh, analyze uh, scenarios that you wouldn't have the chance to in the past if you have if you hadn't had the the access to the data yourself in your own lab. Uh, 
Um, and I think that mathematical modeling now can flourish in a way when it comes to glycosylation because of all these factors that I mentioned. So you talk about how you can use glycans as a biomarker to maybe help diagnose a disease. So you might be able to look to see, oh, this person maybe has cancer, this person doesn't because of the stickers that are on the cell surface or whatever. Do you think these glycans are an effect? Are they, are they, are they caused by the disease or are they causing the disease? Because if they're causing the disease, then you could maybe identify ways to treat it using your mechanistic models, right? Uh, this is the the million the million dollar question i guess in the field and um we can definitely say that uh changes in the physiological state of uh, individuals or even cells these are reflected in the way that glycans are produced so the the obvious um i guess application here would be as you said to try to monitor uh, changes uh, in like maybe the the severity of a disease or even the incidence of a disease by looking at glycans. Uh, but then again, uh, as I mentioned, glycans as being part of these uh, signaling networks of the cells, a lot of cell-to-cell -cell communication, etc. There is indeed uh, some action, uh, some there is indeed some impact of glycans in the pathophysiology of diseases. So it wouldn't be, um, I guess, out of the realm of possibility that by uh, modulating glycosylation and actually trying to drive it towards a particular phenotype, as we say, so a particular type of stickers and like colors, uh, that are healthy and that, that correspond to healthy uh, and homeostasis, uh, that would then, this could be a possibility for, uh, for trying to treat and try to ameliorate some of the symptoms of different diseases. It goes back to the idea of mathematical modeling that with, uh, with more data being available, and actually this is a two-pronged two uh, proposition because on one hand we have the databases that are now available from uh, from different groups that helped actually create them but there are also laboratories across the world a, a small amount so actually a small number of laboratories that can do high throughput glycan analysis so they can analyze a lot of samples um, in a shorter period of time and I think that would also be a catalyst in data generation that would then be uh, exploited by mathematical models to actually test all these different uh, hypotheses. This is why I like computational biology because biology is this huge, it's so complex, it's almost hard to, to fathom what's going on. And for years and years, biology has taken this sort of reductionistic approach where you've so we can actually understand it. And we've boiled things down to like a tiny, we just look at one tiny pathway or one cell type and what computational biology is doing and it's nice that it's also intertwined with chemical engineering etc it's sort of taking all of these this vastly complex system and sort of trying to look at it all at once and i think it's really nice to see sort of yeah. the field going in this direction exactly and also i think in a way as a chemical engineering by training but also from other disciplines too you have to respect uh, there's this risk, I guess, of having to also respect uh, 
the complexity of biology and by reducing it to like simpler components to avoid looking at the tree and not the forest in that sense. Um, and I think in that sense also mathematical modeling can reflect these challenges by considering approaches such as the how uh, uncertain some parameters of these models are, uh, what and actually test different scenarios just based on uncertainties. In terms of what you're actually doing now over the next two years, because I think you've basically got two years left of your PhD, what would be your biggest hopes for your research? The the biggest hope would be to develop the models uh, up to a certain point that they could then be packaged together in a software that would be open source or it would be part of those ecosystems that I mentioned earlier, those websites, so that researchers from different groups, primarily experimentalists, they will get the chance to generate glycosylation data, and then they could use, in principle, these models that I would have developed uh, in the realm of the PhD as a tool for them to test different hypotheses based on the data they have without the need for them to understand the maths behind them and also to uh, understand how exactly to use them as I would probably like to provide some kind of interface because I think one one bottleneck sometimes even again back to the discussion we had earlier about uh, biology and chemical engineering is that the mathematical sides of both disciplines uh, biology and chemical engineering um, is very very interesting however you need to make sure there is a, an application for these models or a way to actually deploy them such that people that don't have the experience of using the SATS models will be able to do so. So if what you think the biggest challenges are for you immediately for your project and also sort of as a as a field, what do you think are the biggest challenges everyone's going to face? I think that uh, the biggest challenge, uh, and I think this is common to other fields too when regards to mathematical modeling, is this idea of how complex your, your model should, should get. And if this complexity kind of justifies, uh, if it's justified in terms of would it answer the question at hand? So usually the idea of complexity, first it makes uh, your models more computationally uh, demanding to solve. So you need like uh, like more more computational power in this sense. But then. If you don't have data that would help you um, test hypotheses that could be predicted by the model when it has a lot of detail, if you don't have this data, then um, you cannot really say if this, this additional detail in the model is actually useful or not. So I think, uh, as I said, there is this uh, data generation when it comes to glycosylation recently. And I think one challenge would be to actually find uh, data of good quality to also actually try to test particular hypotheses. So once the framework is ready, we would like to test for different case studies 
I think this challenge is to actually see what kind of questions we can answer with uh, the models being as complex as they are now. Um, that would be one thing. And for the for the community in general, I think the idea of uh, having fewer labs that do high throughput analysis of glycans when it comes to biomarker discovery, I think this can this is of course very beneficial that these uh, labs are indeed in existence, but it would be nice to see also um, uh, these kind of techniques to to be broadly uh, used from other labs too. Um, and I think as a challenge, uh, it would be challenging to I wouldn't say convince, but to just provide this um, to provide the notion of significance that glycans have in life sciences, because up to this point, usually with life sciences, um, glycans are generally neglected as a part of molecular biology that could provide those kinds of uh, th this information about function of proteins and the other things that we mentioned. And I think this is the challenge of how to do it effectively. And well, I think in that sense, maybe uh, mathematical modeling and providing concrete applications and demonstrating the significance of tools and of the data, you could probably then convince people that this is a part of molecular biology that would be worth looking into at a greater scale. I know that you have collaborations with people all around the world, um, or at least on the other side of the world. Could you talk about maybe what you think might be next for you during your PhD and any exciting things that could happen? Uh, so I have to thank at this point, uh, it's actually Cleo, uh, our supervisor. Uh, she she was very kind when it comes to providing opportunities uh to to collaborate and being open to allowing you to um allowing me in particular to navigate the space of glycobiology because uh it was something that uh she had a lot of knowledge about but at the same time i had to catch up a lot on these kinds of uh on this field um and one thing that she uh, allowed me to do was to collaborate with a group in Japan, uh, a group led by Kiyoko Aoki Kinoshita uh, in Soka, Japan, so in Tokyo. Um, actually, Kiyoko's group is one big proponent of the development of those ecosystems and databases and computational tools uh, for to store glycan data and to help analyze them. Um, and there's been this discussion that maybe at some point in the future, uh, within the, the next two years, uh, I may be able to visit Japan for, uh, for a, a closer collaboration to actually discuss a few matters uh, uh, in person too, because we had a lot of meetings throughout the years, but it's different to do it in person, I feel like. Um, and yeah, Cleo was actually quite generous in that regard, um, as you probably also have experience too. Uh, whenever she, she's never, uh, I don't, I've never felt that she has limited my kind of initiatives within the PhD project. She's great in actually filtering a lot of bad and good ideas from her PhD students, I feel like, 
And in that sense, uh, yeah, I was. I think I'm very lucky having her as a supervisor. Thank you so much, Costas. That was fantastic. It was an honor to to speak to you guys.